Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. All too often, a nonprofit will be so focused on their own budgets, understandably, and trying to make sure that they're meeting those budgets, that they'll miss the cues that that Mm. launcher donor may be giving them, where they could potentially be opening up a whole avenue as long as it's in line with their strategic plan. Welcome back to episode 44 of What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is part of an incredible mini series on what funders want, made possible by our friends at GiveButter. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Sybil Ackerman Munson. Sybil has over 20 years of experience as a nonprofit professional and foundation advisor, and in this episode, she taps into her vast experience and knowledge from working with donors to give away over 45 million in large and small donations. Sybil and I discuss what nonprofits can do to level up their pitch when asking foundation funders for money. She gives a really helpful framework for the three different types of foundation funders and how they should be approached differently. She really takes the foundation funder lens to the next level. In addition, Sybil gives an insider's perspective on how funders can make sure they are being effective and impactful when donating to reduce the risk of burnout and to ensure they feel good about their giving. There is so much in this episode about what foundation funders want, so let's dive in and meet Sybil. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with Sybil Ackerman Munson. Sybil, thank you so much for joining me on What the Fundraising. Thank you for having me. I'm really psyched to be here. I'm so excited for our conversation and you have such a wealth of knowledge and experience with foundation funding and inside the nonprofit sector. So why don't we start with you just giving a little bit of your background and what brings you to this conversation today? Yeah. The reason that I wanted to start my business and it's called do your good. (laughs) The reason I wanted to start this business is I spent over a decade as a nonprofit person raising money. And I wasn't only a a fundraiser, I was also in the nonprofit world implementing. So I was like a director of programs Mm. and spent a long time doing that. And then I moved over to the foundation side because one of the donors that funded my work when I was the nonprofit in the nonprofit area asked if I wanted to run his foundation. And I said, you're kidding me. I'd love to. I didn't ask the right questions probably when I was lucky because I was like, the family got along great and it was Mm. wonderful experience. It's very different. I used to think, oh, how hard is it to give away money? Mm, very different. And so I then I became a foundation executive director. And over time, then more and more families that had foundations asked me to support them. And so I switched that over to working for donors and foundations and also individual donors, helping them give money effectively, giving money away effectively. Mm. And I did that one-on-one and I still do. I have a wonderful clients. I love them. And um, I process over 200 applications from nonprofits a year. I get pitched every single day from amazing nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And while I'm doing all this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm amassing all this information, right? So I'm in the room in those trustee meetings when people are Mm -hmm. making those decisions, lots and lots of them, not just one family, like tons of families and donors. Mm -hmm. And I get pitched by so many folks. I know who does it really well. And I know who really could use some improvement. (laughs) And so I decided when COVID hit and we were all not able to travel and everything else, Mm -hmm. I decided to start this arm of my business called do your good. That's really just focused on sharing this knowledge I've had. I feel like I have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. talk to people about on the nonprofit side, what are the pitches that work? How can Mm. you really be able to raise money? Because I know the inside scoop. Mm. I've been doing it for over a decade. I I owe it to you all, nonprofit (laughs) folks, to help and support you. And then on the other side with donors, 
I really wanted to create some mini courses and other things for more donors than just the one-on-one folks I work with Mm. to support them in figuring out how to keep passion in their giving. Because all too often Mm. I see folks either leaving money on the table, making nonprofits go through hoops they don't need to go through. And then as a result, the donor gets burned out and stops giving because they just Mm. feel like, why are we doing this? And so I have a whole bunch of things I created through this business to support donors that way. And it's been mm. so much fun. It's, it's mm. a huge learning experience, just learning how to do all that. So ask me questions though, Mallory, because I'll just <laughs> go and go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And so I'm curious, I think one of the, the first words you used was how to help donors give effectively. Yes. So can you just mm. define effectively for me? Because I feel like this is one of the things that we're starting to yes. grapple with perhaps in this sector in a new way. We've had some older forms of evaluating the effectiveness of organizations. We're starting to see, I think, more and more pushback around some of those pieces, especially around the relationship between operating expenses and program expenses. And I feel like a lot of that too comes from foundation expectations and grant requirements and reporting and applications. And so I'm just curious when you think of the work that you do in your folks, how is effective defined? I love that question. And I apologize that I'm not going to give you one answer. And I think we should be okay. And actually, that's the first (laughs) point I want to make is that we should be okay with there not Mm. being one answer. There's not one way to do it. And there's effectiveness up front. Let's talk to donors right now. (laughs) And then I want to talk to your nonprofit audience because it's, it's a little bit of both, right? So with donors, in order to be effective, In the front end, it's not just about evaluating how your grants are doing in the back end. Mm. I argue, actually, it's even more important to approach your giving in the front end in a way that's super supportive of the nonprofits. I don't Mm. think we spend enough time in the donor world really thinking about that. The first most important thing as a person who's giving money away, the first thing you can do to be effective is do a lot of self-evaluation first. Mm. And I suggest that you really think a lot about four key things. One, what is your typical week? What do you usually do in your typical week? The next thing is, what are your hobbies? Mm. The next thing is, what are the things that make you happy? Is there a particular place Mm. you go every year? Is there Mm. a place where you do your own volunteer activity every year, all the time, anything, you, whatever it makes you happy, no judgments. And then think about what keeps you up at night. What's the stressor Mm. that really worries you? And the reason that I talk about this, it might, you might be like, wait, what does it have to do with effectiveness? (laughs) The reason I talk about it this way is so many folks I've worked with, I think have come at their giving strategy totally differently. What they do is they say, what is the big heady issue that I feel Mm. like I should be working on? And even though I have absolutely no experience in that area, I should be funding in it. And since I might've been successful, that's why I have a lot of wealth in another area. I therefore will be an expert in this area of work because it's the heady issue and I should do it. Big mistake. What happens there is then as a donor, you start messing around with nonprofits. You act like you know what you're talking about. The nonprofits won't necessarily tell you, you don't know what you're talking about because they want your money. And then you'll start getting really frustrated because you're like, I'm giving all this advice. Everyone's telling me I'm right, but then Mm. no one's doing it the way I say they should be doing it. Mm. I've seen this happen over and over. And then what happens is the donor stops giving, the nonprofits are really pissed off. The money is wasted and we don't want that. I lived that experience as a nonprofit person. And I've lived that experience trying to support donors as an intermediary. And my job as an intermediary, helping donors give money to nonprofits effectively, is all about how to break down those barriers, support nonprofits to tell me what they really think, and to make sure that nonprofits are in the driver's seat in terms of the expertise. Circling back though, what this means, and this is why I want to focus donors in on first really thinking a lot about what they're already experienced in, what they already really love to do. Because no matter what you love to do, there is a do-good nonprofit working on that issue. Mm. And it'll make you so much more effective, more connected, that kind of stuff. Mm. And you'll Mm. also then be able to judge effectiveness 
better because you'll know if you're giving to Mm. your school system, let's say your kids are in the local school system and you're volunteering a lot in the PTA and you're giving, you end up giving a lot of donation to some really cool grants and scholarship programs. And you're right there in the, in the thick of it, if it's working or not. To me, that's the kind of thing that really helps a lot. Folks I work with who have really relied more on effectiveness strategies by looking at grant reports that are written down every year, the donors I work with who really have rely on that because they're one step removed, they end up switching their focus a lot. And they end up not feeling connected. And they'll tell me this directly. Sybil, I read this stuff on the paper, but I'm just not connected. And so that's why I really want to focus on this, this part of it. The other part of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Ask me. No, no. You're just saying so many things that I think are so important. And so I just want to make sure I'm like double clicking on a few of them. One is just this alignment piece. Like I just think understanding you can only align when you understand who you are and what you're coming to the table with. And what I love about those questions that you asked is that my number one question that I recommend to fundraisers to ask potential funders is what keeps you up at night. And so one of the things I'm curious about is like what you think about the role that nonprofits can play for folks who aren't lucky enough to get to work with you and to come to the, (laughs) the conversation with the nonprofit already having done that sort of inner alignment work, perhaps to know what you think about the nonprofit's role in helping them discover it. Because a big thing that I talk about is that this is not about rejection or acceptance. Not all money is created equal. Your goal is to find funders who are deeply aligned with making the same impact that your organization is trying to make that all the problems you just described, when I think about how to support a nonprofit on that side, I'm like, part of that is also recognizing that not all of these funders just having wealth is not enough to make a funder the right funder for you. And exactly. so how yeah. do you really okay. find that okay. alignment? So oh yeah, my gosh, to we are that. not going to okay. have enough time to talk about all of it today, but let's, <laughs> I know. let me, let's break it down a little bit too, in the way, and this is the Sybil world of how I think about it. Okay. So let's talk about this from the context of the nonprofit, but it also can translate to the donor. And what I'm always trying to do is unify Mm -hmm. conversation, unify the language between the donors and the nonprofit folks. Essentially, one thing I like to talk about with nonprofits is I divide donors into three different categories based on my years and years of experience. And it just helps me think about it. And then I really feel like it can help a nonprofit then navigate how to both articulate their pitch to a particular donor and to decide if that donor is really a fit for them. Mm. So the three kind of donors are, there's a sustainer. A sustainer donor is somebody who loves your organization. They just love what you do inside and out. They might be on your board. They go on your outings, mm. they're in your volunteer things. They, they just love what you do. And they might be a monthly donor already. And they go to your annual meetings. And so the main thing for you to talk about with them is how great your group is so that they know Mm -hmm. that you're still vibrant. You're still doing the stuff exactly what they love to do. Let's say they're bird watchers or they're local. It's any, you name it, you name it. I Mm. hope your listeners are thinking about what's their favorite thing they love to do. And there might Mm. be a group like that. Okay. So that's Mm -hmm. the sustainer donor. Those are actually the kind of donors I think that most nonprofits pitch to. They're usually talking to me like they expect that I'm representing all sustainer donors. Look Mm. how great our group is. We're the lead in XYZ. We're doing this and this. We've got Mm. this big webinar you should come to. And I love that. That's great. I don't want to downplay it. But what I want to tell you next, though, is that there's two other kinds of donors that if you talk to them the right way, you really could, you won't leave money on the table. I don't Mm. think. The other two donors are a campaigner donor and a launcher donor. A campaigner donor is somebody who cares more about moving the needle on an issue than they do about your nonprofit. So you got to get over the fact that they really don't necessarily care about your nonprofit. What they care about is climate change or houselessness Mm. or education reform. Now, that is really important to suss out right away. If the Mm. donor cares about moving the needle on an issue and you are a nonprofit that's working on that issue. You don't approach them saying, oh, I'm doing all these things on houselessness. What you do is you say, okay, so what keeps you up at night is houselessness or climate change. Okay, here's the specific two projects we're doing to move the needle and move the benchmark on this particular issue in the next year. 
we are going, if you're local, we're going to do X, Y, we need funding for this particular project to do X, Y, Z. So then the donor, they might not even ever come to an annual meeting, Mm. but they might give you more money than any of the other (laughs) sustainer donors because they see you as a pivotal part of that project. But Mm. the other cool thing is with that donor, if that project sunsets, they might not fund you anymore, but Mm. You also can maybe, if that donor really cares about moving the needle, you can start talking to them about the next key thing that needs to happen Mm. in the next couple of years. It's a very different conversation and it's a project grant rather than Mm. a general support kind of grant. And a lot of nonprofits probably do some of this just automatically, but what I don't see is that nonprofits sort of categorize donors in these different Mm -hmm. ways. And uh, if they do, then what that ha- that helps a lot too with transition. If there's a new executive director that comes mm. on, if you tag a donor a certain way, but let me not forget to tell you about the third kind of donor. The third kind of donor is what I call a launcher donor. Launcher donors are like the venture capitalists mm. of the donor world. They love filling gaps. They're a little similar to a campaigner donor because they really want to move the needle on an issue. They don't mm. necessarily care about your nonprofit at all. I'm not meaning that meanly or in any negative way. It's just to, no. I think it's a deal. very important point. Deal. Yeah. Don't be like you mm-hmm. just need to love us. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're talking to a launcher donor, but if you're an expert nonprofit person in your area of work, you know where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. You are doing amazing work, and you're like, I really wish if we had more media and communications in this particular area, and if we had a little more money where we could work with three other organizations that also could pool money to do a special communications campaign in this thing, or you name the gap, the, mm. the nonprofit knows it. If you're talking to a donor that really wants to start new things, really is more a venture capitalist, those are the programs and projects you talk to them about. And the reason I say this is so important is all too often a nonprofit will be so focused on their own budgets, understandably, and trying to make sure that they're meeting those budgets that they'll miss the cues that that Mm. launcher donor may be giving them where they could potentially be opening up a whole avenue as long as it's in line with their strategic plan to fill a particular gap. It could really help them. And not only could it help that nonprofit, it can help the field. Because a lot of times with campaigner and launcher donors, they fund collaborations of nonprofits. Mm. And that's another thing is a lot of times nonprofits, when I work with nonprofits, I have to actually proactively let them know if you're working with your partner nonprofit on this issue, you're going to raise more money. It's Mm. not a competitive situation because you're talking to a campaigner donor. And if you two are coming to that donor and you're saying, here's the niche we're trying to move the needle on X issue. Mm -hmm. My organization's really good at media and communications. This partner organization is really good at policy, policy Mm. movement, and really knows like the players in this particular issue. And we need to work together because we've got these contacts that campaigner donor will give so much more money than if the nonprofit just came in alone. And so these are the kind of things I am. So I should stop talking because I'm sure you have more questions. (laughs) These are the kind of things when you're talking about this kind of work, it's super important that way. And Mm. it does circle back to your question about effectiveness as well. Because it also helps you in the nonprofit world. If you're talking to a campaigner or launcher donor, you're doing project grants. Or Mm. if they're not grants, if it's not a foundation, but it's a donor, you're still doing projects. And so you're really clear with yourself in the nonprofit world. You're saying, okay, this person wants a project. I'm going to tell them we're going to accomplish A, B, C, D in year one, year two, year three. And Maybe I won't accomplish it, but that's okay. In the end, maybe it'll, it, you don't have to stress it as a nonprofit person. Sometimes they say, oh my God, if I do that, then what happens if I don't mm. accomplish it? No, it's okay. You can say, here's ABC. And then I didn't quite meet A, but this is why. The campaigner mm. donor loves that too. They love to be part of the mix. And that's how the campaigner donor and launcher donor, both you have project grants, the campaigner and launcher donor then feel good because they're able to monitor effectiveness and things move forward great that way. As a sustainer donor, the main measure of effectiveness is your is the donor on the donor side happy with that group still? Is it still the heart group for them? Is it still the one that they mm-hmm. want to go to the annual meetings and the outings at? And on the nonprofit side, you're a nonprofit person thinking, okay, how many donors do we have that we're really touching their heartstrings? Like they just love what mm-hmm. we do. 
And how can we continue to make sure that those messages so that we just keep getting general support funding so that we can prioritize the stuff we really need to fund. And um, Mm. all those kinds of donors are really important, but if you mix and match too much, you're going to leave money on the table. Do you feel like, what percentage of the time do you feel like a donor knows which type they are? They don't either. That's why one of the reasons that I'm, why I've created my mini courses is to support donors in thinking through what kind of donor they want to be. And when I first started out as a funder, as a person working for foundations and for donors, I was really confused myself. I Mm. so wish I had someone telling me about these three different types, because when you talk with a donor, like my first few donors that I would work for, they'd say, Sybil, this is the way you do it because they've been Mm. doing it for a long time. And they're like, this is the way, this is the right way. And I'd be like, oh, this is the right way. Okay. Because I was new. Okay. This is how I'm going to do it. And actually my first clients were mainly campaigner type donors. And so I was like, this is how you do it. And then a little later on, I had other clients that said, this is how you do it. And this is the right way to do it. Mm. And I was like, oh, but that's totally different from what I before. Uh. And I started feeling, and there was some judgment, right? There's some judgment mm-hmm. by the different types of donors. And I was like, wait, no, if we can categorize it, you all can give, it's just you can give well in your own way. And then it'll help nonprofits so much because what, when I tell you, I get pitched by a lot of nonprofits, I do. And the ones that really fail, the pitches that really fail is when somebody is talking to me and I'm representing a donor who's a sustainer kind of donor and they're pitching me campaigns like crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, my, the trustees Mm. won't care about that. They want to know that your organization's hitting their heartstrings and then they'll give Mm. to you forever. And vice versa, a group will come to me and say, look at all these great events we have and webinar series and all these different things. And I'm like, yeah, but how are you moving the dial on this particular issue that my Mm. client cares about? And they're like, we don't want to talk to you about that. You just need to love our group. I'm like, sorry, then you're not going to get funding. And they're like, grump. I'm like, that doesn't help. And that, and, and it really was a middle of the night kind of realization for me that I was like, Oh my gosh, I really, I think because I work for so many different kinds of donors, so many different people, Mm -hmm. I have this insight into this that a lot of people who are work for foundations don't necessarily have, which is why I felt this responsibility to get out there in the world and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to talk about one piece of the puzzle here, and maybe this relates to these three different types of donors, but one of the things I'm curious about is the relationship between foundations or individuals who give like foundations, whether that's a family foundation, or I know you have some other sort of ways that, that you categorize those folks, how that relates to their participation in another activity that the organization is doing. For example, I feel like oftentimes when I see organizations look at their fundraising plan for the year, they have the foundation funding, the grant funding really siloed out. And whether that's project-based or general operating-based, it's they have separated out the whole process of communicating with the foundation, applying for the grant, reporting on the grant, and they don't necessarily weave in that relationship with the foundation into their entire annual giving strategy. And I've been thinking a lot lately, especially during the pandemic, as we've seen the rise of huge digital campaigns that have happened. And some of them have been accompanied by a digital event or virtual event um, or a hybrid event or anything like that. But I'm curious how you think about the role that foundation partners should or could be playing with nonprofits when it comes to their other fundraising strategies. I love all of this is just, oh my gosh, there's so many (laughs) things to unpack there, but let me start with one, the first thing I was thinking of, and then let's keep going. The first thing I want to say is Foundations are, when you were talking about foundations, quote unquote foundations, they're so different. Every single one is so different Mm. because they're all people. They're all linked to people. (laughs) And I do think, I do see this a lot where I feel like my nonprofit friends, they have the foundation line item in their budget. And because foundations have like the proposal schedule and Mm. usually somebody like me, who's an intermediary who Mm. makes sure that the things are entered into the right places and the boxes are checked. And a lot of times too, the trustees at a foundation 
they're super busy and they have their own lives. And so they're not necessarily approachable through the foundation as much. Mm. And so I can, I totally understand why a nonprofit person, if they're getting grants year after year from the foundation, that they might want to focus a little more of their time on the individual donors Mm. where it's a little bit less, you can see how it would naturally go that way. Mm -hmm. But I really want to emphasize the fact that would be the, that is the wrong way to go. The most successful nonprofits who are fundraisers that I work with, they work with me, but they know my trustees personally. And one of my main interests is in is in supporting my trustees in getting to know the nonprofit leaders. That's what I want to do too. Like it's my job is to help connect. And most Mm -hmm. people in my position feel that way too. We're not really gatekeepers. We're breaking down those gates Mm. (laughs) to make sure that if I meet a nonprofit person who I know will get along so well with one of the trustees I work for, one of my clients, I want them to have lunch. So that's the first thing is they do definitely, I just want to say, yes, you're right. Your concern is right. And the nonprofits should take heed to be concerned about this. The way that they can make sure that they're engaging foundations is I think that this is something that the most successful fundraisers do, but almost nobody does. The first thing is if the nonprofit is working on a campaign and they have a bunch of donors that they know are campaigner type donors. And these are foundations that are funding them around the campaign too. What they really should do is proactively think about key times in that campaign where there's going to be major decisions or maybe a major win happens. And then organize a funder briefing with the funders as part. Don't just do a webinar, everyone comes, not just funders, but every single person in the whole world, which is great. Do that still, but mm-hmm. don't just do that. Mm-hmm. Talk to your two or three favorite donors. It's, it could either be somebody like me who works as an intermediary or a couple of the trustees and say, hey, I know there's going to be a big decision or there was a big decision. Can we have a funder only meeting where it's mainly you all as funders, tell me what you're interested in And then we can have three or four different nonprofits. It shouldn't just be your organization either because it's Mm. a collaboration usually with a campaign. And we want to all talk together about how this has worked, what, what, and honestly, what our challenges were. If we didn't get, if maybe a couple groups didn't always get along on strategy, it's okay to talk about that kind of stuff Mm. and how you're navigating it. So really getting in the weeds on some of those pieces and just scheduling it in. When a group of nonprofits or a nonprofit does that, it really brings people in more than just having them, the foundations just get written reports at the end of the year or proposals in the beginning. First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. And can I ask you, How do you see the difference between how a campaign funder might plug in? And I get it. I love the way that you're like, there is not some one size fits all thing here, because I think that is so important for folks to remember. And I also know that they're trying to make sense of like the yeah. matrix of options. Totally. And that's sort of time. right. That's why yeah. I did the three. I'm like, there's three categories, yes. even though it's hard to hard to nail everybody down. <laughs> yes, totally. I love that. So I I'm thinking when I think about like an example of, okay, so let's say there's an online campaign, spring campaign coming up for the organization to raise a certain amount of, of money on you know, a project, but it's not a launch project. It's related to an ongoing project, but perhaps a burst of funding that they're hoping to to raise around and share a bunch of stories in the process. How might a campaign funder participate in something like that versus a sustaining funder? I hear this piece around educating, bringing them in, maybe asking for their advice, engaging them in the whole process upfront. But I'm also wondering sometimes a 
foundation will give a matching grant or they'll sponsor a piece of the campaign. And I'm curious if you've noticed any patterns in the types of engagement related to the types of foundation funder they are. Yes, yes. And a way that engagement doesn't happen based Mm. on the type of funder they are. Tell us all the things. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so if you're the, your scenario, your hypothetical that you just described mm. works really well for a sustainer. So essentially you're, it's like, say it's like giving Tuesday, which I, I know you, you've had some amazing guests talking about giving mm. Tuesday and some of those things where those events where the whole community is trying to raise money for organizations mm. and, or like the annual meeting that the group has, and they're trying to raise money, general support money for the group. Okay. Mm. Again, I really feel like that's how a lot of nonprofits think about fundraising because of the, it's my experience. And so in that situation, it's great to have storytelling about the important pieces of your organization, what you're doing. You want to generally raise money with Giving Tuesday, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Campaign and launcher donors don't generally give to Giving Tuesday. They don't generally give in that area at all. And this is my personal experience. Now, what I love Mm -hmm. is now that I have these three categories, I'd love to actually test these things Mm. academically. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that is key, but I am telling you campaigner and launcher donors don't really say, Oh, I care about houselessness or climate change. Oh, there's this giving Tuesday thing that's general. And all these groups are saying they're doing this. No, that's just not the, maybe they'll give a little bit of money, but not Mm. significant amounts. Okay. So if you want to also tap the campaigner and launch your donor, you need to do things differently in those areas. So definitely keep doing giving Tuesday, keep doing all those other pieces because those general, those sustainer donors that give you general grants and donations are critical for your organization. Mm. Don't stop. But with the campaigner or launcher donor, it's much more targeted. It's much more project focused. It's much more benchmarked. Mm. And you're really thinking through also, it's much more collaborative with other nonprofits doing the same thing you are, but they have a specific different expertise or niche that you need them mm. for to move the ball. And with and in terms of engaging your campaigner or launcher donor, A lot of times if a campaigner donor or a launcher donor is engaged in an issue, they usually know a bit about it. It also means that they might have high-level contacts in that area. And so you can also talk to that donor about, oh, can you pick up the phone and call X person who is really important in this field of work? Because maybe a lot of times a donor who cares about funding in a particular area, they may have become, they may have been a successful business person in that area already. So they might have contacts in the world that you want to influence that you Mm. never would have had those contacts originally. And so I find that works really well. And it's a really wonderful partnership then with the donor beyond just the donor having money to give. And then another place that I already talked about, but I don't want to de-emphasize this is really put into your work plan with your staff times mm. when you're going to proactively bring specific donors in to talk about particular issues. If you know that they care about moving the needle on an issue mm. and work that into your work plan, the coalitions of nonprofits that don't do that and just treat the foundation like a bank teller, mm. and like arm's length. And we, we have all these secrets and we don't want you to be in on them. Again, nonprofits should have meetings without donors, no question. But that's why I'm thinking it's important to plan those other ones in. I have a story for you. Right now, There's I, I work, in, work with donors who a lot of them fund environment and natural resources nonprofits. There's about to be a really, there, there was a really big decision on private forest land management in Oregon. A lot of the folks I work for have funded conversations around this issue for years. The timber industry and the environmental community have come together and made this landmark agreement on 10.5 million acres of private lands. So that's amazing. It's so amazing. Mm. And so the story I want to tell you is I was talking to one of the leaders in the nonprofit world about this, and he proactively was like, okay, Sybil, I really feel in a couple months, we should have a funder briefing. And it's not like a briefing where it's just slideshows. It's a funder conversation to give the donors who have worked on this for so many years an update 
generally on what happened with the agreement, how, where, it, what it looks like. Cause we all have gotten like the report, but what does it mean? And that kind of thing. And, and that, when that works well, that's great. And I said, oh, great. I know five or six people who would want to have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a lot of donors either. It's just a few key people and a few key nonprofits to have that conversation, but mm. planning it into your schedule. But then it, let me get, give you a story where the opposite happened, but I won't use real examples. Here. It's okay. a real story, but I'm not going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. In this context. Yeah. Totally. There was a, there was one, one issue that a bunch of the people I work for fund. And I say was because they're not funding it any as much. And there were quite a few times, two or three times where there were key decisions that were happening around this issue, like key benchmark times when key policies or uh, actions or activities were happening that really shifted Mm -hmm. the course of the conversation. And the nonprofits decided not to include the funders in any of the conversation proactively. They said, we don't want funders... we don't want to talk to them about it. They just need to give us money and we need, they just need to have us do it. And I understood their reasoning for that, but what ended up happening is there's a lot of issues out there. And so a lot of the people I worked for ended up funding other things because they felt more engaged. They felt more connected and they started fading out of the other issue that they were working on that they were funding. So it's real. You can see it playing out on the ground. Gosh, I I love talking to you. (laughs) My wheels are just turning as you're talking about all this. Your framework around these three types of foundation funders, I feel like is really helpful on so many fronts. One of the things that I mentioned before we clicked record is that I feel like a lot of the times organizations have influential conversations with foundations, whether they receive their funding ultimately or not. And they start to organize a lot of their fundraising practices around those conversations. And what's a little bit striking to me right now is that if those early conversations that can really shape a fundraiser, really shape an organization, happen to be with a campaign funder or a launch funder, and that goes unrealized or unexamined, then it could perhaps lead an organization to really over-restrict their funding, over-projectize their strategic plans, shape-shift in different ways because they believe that's how they'll get funding. Yes. It's a way for a nonprofit to say no as well. So Mm -hmm. if you're really crystal clear that you've talked with a potential donor or foundation and they say they want to move the needle on X issue, and you're clear that it's not part of your strategic Mm. plan or anything else, you don't need to spend time with that donor anymore. And you can focus on a different person or Mm. you can have it in your back pocket. Oh, that person cares about this. I might not, you might not pitch that person for like five years, but still meet with them because you're like, they're close enough, but you might, I genuinely love the people I work for. (laughs) These are amazing people. They want to give their wealth away to amazing work. So it's actually really fun to be a fundraiser, I'd hope, because (laughs) you could hang out with all these folks. And then, but then if you're really clear then on what they want, you can ask them for support when your organization is ready. I really appreciate that, Mallory. When I worked for nonprofits, mm-hmm. when I worked as a director person at a, non-pro- at a few different nonprofits, that was always the tension because I would know there was a funder that wanted to do a specific thing, mm-hmm. but did we stretch ourselves to do that or not? Mm-hmm. I guess in life too, it's not really just mm-hmm. this thing. I, I have trouble saying no to things in my business. I'm like, oh, this is so much fun. Mm. And then, you know, then I'm like, wait a minute, I have no time to do everything. Okay. You're bringing up this really important point. And I I know we don't have a lot of time to go into this. A lot of the work that I do with organizations is around the emotional side of fundraising and how that plays out on a number of different fronts. And I think what you're hitting on right now is this really important point, which is that sometimes foundation funding feels like one tremendous validation for the organization that they're doing good work and they're on the right track, that it gives the board a lot of belief in the leader of the organization, that it floats this perhaps like dopamine experience for everyone of like, Things are going well. And so sometimes I think organizations don't say no, not just because of the things you mentioned, although those are 100% part of it, but also because 
they feel like they're grasping at straws. And this foundation funding would put a stake in the ground in a way that matters. And so they do end up diverting a lot of their resources or redoing their strategic plan or all these different things. And so I'm curious how you coach organizations to to really stay true to themselves or, and if ever there's a time you do suggest they take an organization up on partnering with them in a certain way, because it is going to allow them to perhaps do X, Y, and Z later on. Because I'll tell you just from my personal experience with foundation fundraising, because these are human relationships, these are people I've had foundation funders say to me, like, I really like you and I really want to be able to support your work. And if you could just put a proposal in front of me that says X, Y, and Z, I know I can get it through. And that as a fundraiser, who's trying to get the approval and support of all these other things, nothing is so enticing than those <laughs> words from a big foundation. So how then can the fundraiser and the organization and, oh my gosh, and, and I'm And I'm cringing because I've made all these mistakes, right? So I'm like, oh yeah, no, I, and I've done that before because I'm like, I love this group and I know mm. this particular foundation or family will fund this group if there's a certain mm. way they say this and that. And it is like, how do you balance that? Okay, so let me just go back a step because your first comment, about this really sparked some thoughts in me. I do want to be clear that the main thing I do is work with donors now. Mm -hmm. So I will help nonprofits sometimes, but I'm super careful about how I do that because I work for so many foundations. I don't want there to be, if the foundation is funding that nonprofit in any way, then I won't, I have to focus with the donor. But here's what I want to say with, with this, these three categories, the sustainer, campaigner, and launcher, If your organization looks at all of your current donors and foundations are, some foundations are sustainer foundations too. So it's, it's a mixed Mm. bag with donors, foundations, everything. If you look at your whole spectrum of givers, Mm. your organization, and you start categorizing them by sustainer, campaigner, or launcher, Mm. the trick is then to, and this is personal for each nonprofit, but to figure out how many of those donors across the board, do you want as sustainer donors? And it really Mm. depends on your organization's mission. If you're an organization that really focuses on campaigns, Mm. then you probably will want to have more campaigner type donors than sustainers. But Mm. what I'd suspect is most nonprofits would want to be sure that at least 50 to 60% of their overall portfolio of of donors and foundations are sustainer donors. Mm -hmm. Because then what that allows you to do is be more picky with the kind Mm. of campaigner and launcher donors that you bring into the mix. Mm. And it allows your board not to be so stressed out with the executive director. If the Mm. ED says, look, I said no to this one donor Mm. and this is why. And, but look Mm. at the portfolio of our donors. I would love to have nonprofits just think about that whole portfolio differently. I think really good fundraisers and really good EDs, executive directors, they do this inherently, but I'm trying to put a label on that part. So that's mm. the, that was the first thing I wanted to talk about there, but I, wish I should stop there before going on because you brought up so many good things. What is that um, spark in you in terms of the next thing you want me to talk about? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. And I do think, gosh, I just, I remember the pressure of running a small organization, a growing organization, and even what it means to be a good fundraiser. I think for me, it's also just about fundraisers having the space and time, which they're so often not given to take that reflection and get grounded in even the process of having a board to me sometimes is so challenging. When I think about the piece you were saying before around our challenges saying no, and even some of what I was hearing in there that I share so much is like this people-pleasing tendency. So when I was an executive director, I had 12 bosses. There's no way you're going to make 12 people happy with you at the exact same time. It is impossible. So it felt in so many ways, this really challenging tension. And then you throw the funding opportunities on there. And I love what you said at the very beginning. In fact, I just want to go back to that for a second around the expertise piece and what happens when this goes wrong around sort of donors overstepping in their management and control of funds when the, and we had another guest on the podcast who talked about this too, around how everyone thinks of themselves as an expert when it comes to human oh, so issues, painful. right? 
Yeah. Let me tell you a story about this, but there's so many, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, there's this one story where I was working on an issue with for a few different donors I worked for, and it was all around green jobs and how to support nonprofits that are supporting people who are transitioning into green jobs, renewable, like in the solar industry and you name it. And we, it was really early on, it was many years ago, and it was really early on in the conversation. And so there was a lot of new thinking about how to do this effectively, how to fund effectively. And I organized a funder meeting with some of the really renowned experts on this question at the time. And I invited the experts to come and I invited the funders to come. And one of the funders comes in and they sit down at the table. And before the meeting even begins, they sit down and they go, I was just on the plane flying here from X place. And I read an article on the plane and it says that this is what should happen. He started the entire meeting that way. (laughs) And it ended up, I was able to, I was really early in my career too. So I didn't have a lot of nowadays. I'd be like, "Eh." (laughs) you go over there in the corner and be quiet. You know, at the time I was also, oh, I'm a newbie. I just Mm. moved over to being a funder. I was like, oh, I'm trying. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it, it dominated the conversation. Everybody had to address Mm. that for the whole time. And then at the end of the meeting, my friends and colleagues who I had invited who were experts pull me aside and were like, they were like, what just happened there? So everyone at the actual meeting though was like, yes, smiling. But then what ended up happening was the group didn't end up funding any of those issues at that particular moment in that particular Mm. time. Now, of course that issue has been funded since, but it was a tough meeting and the nonprofits pull me aside. They're like, what was that? That was, Mm. that is not the issue. That's not what we were trying to deal with. That's not the right way to approach the problem. I have 30 years of experience with this. What is going on? Mm. And that's just an example where a donor go rogue and not good, but there's plenty of other examples like that, where the biggest problem that a donor will have is they'll come into a meeting and they'll start talking first. That is the biggest problem because then Mm. they don't realize it, but they're directing where things Mm. are going then for the rest of the meeting and they can't get the real facts. Mm. And this is even with one-on-one meetings. It's not just Mm. with group meetings. I I did create this mini course called how to keep yourself out of a funder bubble. Mm. And I I have seven key steps to think through all the time. Are you doing Mm. this as a funder? And if you are, you might be in a funder bubble. And then here's some things, some tips and tricks Mm. to like stay out of it for the donor. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And there's also a great, for those who are listening, there's a great two-part series with Vanessa Bonds who wrote, you have more influence than you think. And we split the series into two parts. The first one is fundraisers. You have more influence than you think. And donors, you have more influence when you think. And she wrote this great book around how we often underestimate the influence that we are projecting out, especially when we're in positions of power, like funders and fundraisers that you have actually more control and influence over that conversation than you even realize, which is wonderful. So definitely go check out those episodes as well. And yes, Sybil, tell us, I know we're out of time, but tell everyone where they can find you. I know much fun. Find me at doyourgood.com. I have the a website and, and uh, I have mini courses and stuff like that. I also have a weekly podcast and you can find that on any of the streaming services. Just type in do your good. I'm on Instagram and Facebook under the handle do your good as well. And yeah, or you can just type in my name too, Sybil Ackerman Munson or do your good. And I just, I would love to talk to any of your listeners about any of these things. It's what I'm so passionate about. I really just want to help nonprofits do good in the world and support donors in giving to those amazing people doing good stuff every day. Like it's just so inspiring at what everybody does out there in the nonprofit world. <laughs> it is amazing. And I'll make sure that all the links to everything you mentioned are below and in the show notes as well. So folks can find exactly um, what they're looking for. Thank you so much for coming and having this conversation today. It's such a pleasure to get to know you and to learn more about your work. And I feel like I'm going to be spinning out on this conversation for a little while as I think about these different types of foundation funders and what it means really to to dig into real relationships with all of them in all their different diversity and thinking about them in terms of this matrix that you laid out for us. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mallory. And I can't wait to have you on my podcast. There is a lot of wisdom that I really appreciate inside this episode, but I want to double click on the three types of donors that Sybil talks about because this really relates to how you think about engaging your foundations and major donors in your campaign in particular. 
Sybil recommends that you consider dividing your donors into three categories, campaigner, launcher, and sustainer, to determine the best way for them to align with your work. Sustainer donors are the ones who are wholeheartedly invested in your cause and nonprofit, and so they often like to engage with the nonprofit by attending meetings and even volunteering. The giving is reliable and consistent, and they would likely participate in any campaign you're putting out there. Campaigner donors are going to be excited about your campaign too, but they need to see that you're moving the needle and making changes in a specific area. You want to approach this type of donor with facts about how your initiative will make a measurable difference. Like the campaigner donor, launcher donors like to fund special projects so they can see clearly the impact of their funds. Launcher donors really like innovation, and they also like collaboration between different nonprofits. Therefore, it's best to approach launcher donors with a new project in mind and constituents already around the table ready to work together. Okay, there are so many other takeaways from this episode, so head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to get access to all the show notes right now. You'll also find more information there about Sybil and how to connect with her. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you in the next episode of this mini series. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.